Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday afternoon. And uh, I want to do something about tefillah, which is always is, uh, sponsored by Mishpacha Stefanski. <laughs> I'm doing it out of order because something uh, interesting came up. Uh, also, I don't have anybody yet for the Parsha and Naftorah, so I'm hoping tomorrow, the day after, maybe somebody will step forward to sponsor the, the, the other two that we usually do. But let me share this right now. Uh you know, I get a lot of emails, as you can imagine. And most of them are intelligent. And uh, some are, are grabbing and some are not. <clears throat> so uh, I got one yesterday from someone, and I'm doing this with his Rishus, who's in Kiruv um, in the South, professionally. <clears throat> Rabbi uh, the Oppenheims, or North Carolina. That means that they're on the front lines... <clears throat> of the Kirov Wars in communities that are not from, whereas I said before, you have to measure success in a different way. The Chabad people can tell you the same thing. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> You're not going to necessarily go into a town and turn everybody into a Shomer Shabbos. But you can go and improve them uh, step by step, and that's also something. Somebody who remains not a Shomer Shabbos, but now keeps Natil Sidam, I'm just making something up, does his Epis. It's not a small thing. You understand? Now, obviously, the goal is that somebody should go 100%. I get that. But you understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> and when you're on the front lines like that, so uh, uh, you get a lot of situations. It's wearing on the family. I know that. I'm sure that. I don't know if I could do it. But so hats off to the people that do. But you engage with people that are completely divorced from the Jewish tradition yet who are Jewish. And one of the interesting areas, and that's why I'm doing it in this context, <clears throat> has to do when you deal with Jews who are, let's say, for example, post-religious or left-wing reform or something like that. So uh, prayer, davening, is different than for a from person because there's no feeling that you're talking to somebody. Uh even within the firm tradition, if you want to get philosophical, as we've said many times, davening makes no sense. You cannot change God. Uh, by definition, you know, I'm not going to go into all that again, but just take it from me from philosophically, God cannot change. And so nothing you do is going to matter. And yet, in spite of what I just said, I can almost guarantee you that the Rambam himself didn't daven in a Maimonidean fashion. When you're davening, Philosophy does not comprehend the totality of reality. When you're in a philosophy course or a lecture, it does. And philosophy and everything that's allied with philosophy purports to be a hegemonic discourse, which means it claims to be sovereign over the totality of reality. But it isn't. Uh, no particular discourse can comprehend everything. And that's one of the great insights of um, postmodernism if anybody knew what I'm talking about. 
the notion that uh, there are different, different discourses out there. I don't want to get too far afield. So, uh, this uh, rabbi in the South shared with me the following story, which I want to share with you, with his permission. Uh, and again, hats off to them. And to summarize, the... Uh, there's a, an email was just sent to his wife, the Rebison, from a lady who's one of the most uh, assimilated Southern families. I don't want to go into family details, but it just suffice it to say, they've been in the South, sounds like 200 years. Old, old, old Jewish. Um, it's, it's interesting, it's still Jewish. You know, Old South, the locals treat the local Jews if they've been there for many generations, it's different than, the, you know, if you're a Jew from outside. So very uh, located within the South power structure. And it's a type of pre-people, and I'm sure that when our cure of couple moved in, probably gave them a hard time. But nevertheless, if you're Jewish, I don't care if you have 10 generations of non-from, as long as you're still Jewish, there's a pinto little business there. And Rabbi Alpenheim shared with me, he said, you know, we, and we always try to keep lines of communication open with this person, with this lady. And in recent months, now I'm going to quote to you. In recent months, she reached out to my wife and they met for coffee. <clears throat> so there's two women, one from, not, one not from. The from woman is Rebison Oppenheim, the other one isn't, is this reformed lady. And the reformed lady has a special needs daughter who's about 23 years old and has food allergies and has been the source of a great deal of pain for most of the 23 years she's alive. This is, a, you know, anyone who has a special needs situation in their family will be familiar with this. Hopefully it's not immense pain, but it can be. You know, every situation is different. So that's what this lady was talking about. Kenzine, that the the pain that she has in her life is mom's with generator to go talk to a from woman. It could be, I don't know. I'm not. I don't live down there. This in the Carolinas. But anyway, when you have sorrows and pains, so that's when you already start thinking about prayer. That's my point. Even a person who doesn't ever pray and maybe doesn't believe anything to pray, but to be left alone, and there's nobody to talk to, I imagine, this is just me, must be unbelievably frustrating. And so in the last coffee meeting, this rabbi writes to me, my wife, DeRabinson, gave this lady permission to yell at God if she felt she needed to, because she's angry at God for giving her such a special needs situation. My wife, DeRabinson, explained that it was better to have some relationship with God rather than none at all. And then <clears throat> they left. And then the lady wrote the following email to the Rebison. Hi, Rebison. I'm quoting now. Hi, Rebison. So I heard you at our last meeting, and recently, at the height of my frustra frustration, I screamed at God. Had he not permitted enough harm to come to my child? Dot, dot, dot. And not even the kind of, the kind that elicits goodwill in others, but only snickers and pity. In other words, I don't have the right kind of special needs. You know, some of them are 
are, are uh, you know, chic, shall we say. Not that anybody wants it, but, you know, others uh, don't. So, uh, you know, only Snickers and pity. To 90, this is the lady, the non from lady writing. To 90% of the population that does not have food allergies, there's total doubt in our daughter's medical story. For the 10% who do have food allergies, a cerebral response to food is often too far afield to grasp. So I'm not 100% sure what she means about it, but it doesn't matter. You see, they have a lot of SARS from the food allergy. God has screwed us. This is what she said. So I yelled and shook my fist. So was in her, this, is her, this is the reformed lady davening. When I say davening, this is the reformed lady communicating with the Rabbani Shalom. I yelled and I shook my fist. I did this with full knowledge that there are parents out there who tragically lost their children to illness and suicide. Then who was I to ask for a favor beyond all tragic possibilities? <clears throat> so in other words, the lady saying that I'm not stupid, I am aware that I'm not the only person with SARS out there. And there are people with worse SARS out there. You know Which is the truth, if you want to look at it in a broad way. There are people with worse SARS out there. But I got my pecola. But I was in no mood to play fair. <clears throat> my daughter had had enough. And my husband and I are broken. This is what she's writing to the Rebson. Now I'm going to continue to read what this reformed lady wrote. This verbal showdown with Hashem, that's her words, took place at the beginning of last week. Since that time, we have been showered and inundated with blessings, even from unpredictable directions. You will think I'm telling a packaged, perfect story just for Rebson to hear, but it's really true. Isn't that funny? She started screaming at Hashem. But in other words, I want you to understand the significance of this. That's the first time they have had a conversation. You get it? And when you have that kind of term reform thing, you attend services. And, you know, you can interpret like the medieval philosophers, prayer is a public act and this and that and the other. But she, the first time they had a conversation, all right? At least she was talking. And now, stuff happened to her in a good way. We have been showered, inundated with blessings, even from unpredictable directions. You think I'm telling a perfect story for rabbits in the ear, but it's true. Why is this happening? I was vicious and tyrannical in my doubts about Hashem's love for my child. I was quite low, and yet here we are. I look forward to sharing with you the most improbable details that have come to pass be well. Etc. 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 Isn't that something? Now, look how smart the Rebson was. What's better, person to 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 not speak disrespectfully, but not be goris Hashem, because that's what it boils down to. Not be goris Hashem, uh, or uh, or to be goris and say, "I know you're there. I got tinas." You're the one, <laughs> let me put it this way, whether she realized it or not, if she's coming to Tainus against her Bonishalam, then what she's making is a profound theological statement, which is, you're in charge. You're in charge. This is the, um, what shall I say, central thesis and conundrum of monotheism. <clears throat> uh, I don't know if you ever asked yourself, why did people believe in multiple gods way back when? In the old days, the Rosaria, as they call it. Why was it so popular? 
Now, I know the Rambam's got some kind of a story, you know, be Manish and all the rest of it. But that's a simplistic thing. Why is it, anthropologically, people that never heard about the Rambam, you know, in the Fiji Islands, they're all into different idols, local deities. So one way is to say, look, they're primitive, that's it, get over it. It's a dumb, you understand? A guy is living in a jungle, as far as he knows, there's only the Dalai Lama in the jungle, therefore, the God is the God in the jungle. It could be a monkey, it could be a, a coconut plant, you know, whatever. And if it's the Vikings, you know, it could be, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, some Vikings, uh, you know. That's not really true. The reason uh, that polytheism has always had a great run is because it provides a certain type of answer to the problem of theodicy, which is why does bad stuff happen? Like this lady was experiencing, and like many people experience in the course of their lives, different types of tsaras. Hopefully not as bad as this, whatever, but you know, different types of tsaras. Life ain't a bowl of cherries for probably anybody. Now, why does bad stuff happen? Bishlim, if you say that there's just many gods out there and different forces, that leads to certain theological presumptions. For example, Kadmus Olam. You know, how come you have ten different gods? That's just the way it is. The reality consists of ten gods. You know, get over it. There are ten forces out there. There's nature, there's gravity, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Here's what it is. Um, so why did something bad happen? Just, um, there's no good answer. Don't expect an answer. This guy felt like uh, throwing a lightning bolt at you today. And you would, uh, like she said, she was screwed, that's it. They said, but why me? There's no way to answer that. In other words, you come up with chance, with a probability, with stuff is going to happen, and you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. On the one hand, that can make you incredibly bitter. On the other hand, you say like this, but that's the way it is. That's the reality. And there's nothing to do about it. You know, nothing to do about it. And that explained to people for thousands of years in thousands of different civilizations why this happened to their kids, that happened to the guy, the tree fell on this person, the war was over here, and so forth and so on. You know? He got this guy ticked off, or he won, won the favor of that guy. Maybe he won the favor of that guy by sacrificing his child. All kinds of different ways. You understand? But ultimately, it's a important chance. Like, you know, you're like ducking bullets, as it were. Ducking bombs. And you're, doing, you're hoping your best. And maybe you'll be Maslich. Maybe you won't be Maslich. Whatever. You know, whatever. <laughs> now, um, now I'm going to tell you a different model. It's called monotheism. It's called Judaism. And monotheism is the shot. There's one God and only one. And there's nothing else to deal with. Eno Milvado, as they say. So to use human terms, there's one guy in charge. Right? He's in charge of everything. That's interesting. So if there's one guy in charge, then there's an address if I have complaints. If there's a Hefkeris, there's nowhere to go complaints. No complaint department. <laughs> you understand? There's no complaint department. If a guy goes away to a flea market somewhere and gets cheated, and meanwhile the flea market all disintegrated and went a hundred different directions, you just say like this, I got cheated. <laughs> There's nobody to talk to. You understand? Like 300, 400 booths. The guy ripped me off. It's my fault. 
you know, how do they say it? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. You know, that kind of thing. It is what it is. But if it's a department store and there's one guy in charge of the whole business, one owner, there's a complaint department. So then I can come with my kindness. Now, the Jewish religion has an interesting theory of God. First of all, there's only one. There's nobody else. Number two, this God is in charge of everything. He's all-powerful. And number three, this God is good. There's a tova mativ. As a matter of fact, if you want to go Kabbalistic, you know, they say the whole shot was God is, is a tova mativ. I never quite understood that, but, you know, I'm familiar with it. And, uh, wait a second. If everything is good, then why is this junk happen to me? Then I have tainas. Right? There are different ways of approaching that. I'm not sure there's any good answer. And that's why whenever you bring this up, people say, oh, it's a good question, you know. And once in a while, like in a Hasidic tale, in the end it'll be good. You know what I mean? In other words, it seems bad in the beginning. By the time it's over, it's good. So that's like a cheating. Turns out you just thought it was bad, but Emmis, it was really good. But there are other times in life, it's bad and it's bad and it doesn't get better. That's a Messias. Chaspechalil, illness, this, I don't, I don't even want to go into that. All kinds of stuff out there. It's bad. It's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. What is somebody supposed to do at that time? So somebody else will sit there superciliously and say, well, it's really good. That, my friends, is the book of Eob of Job. Where the three friends of Job, you know, he suffered so much, all the rest of it. And to make the story even better, we are told, we the readers are told that Job didn't do anything bad. I know there are Chazals that were bothered by this, therefore they have all these stories about Job being really bad. But the book of Job says that he was good. What has the expression? Ish Tov Asur something like that. You know, he was a good guy. It was a bet between God and Satan. That's the way the Sefer is written. And when the three friends try to give from me answers over many chapters, they provide no relief whatsoever for Eov. And moreover, it says in a Pusik over there, it's a very interesting Pusik, that it was not good in the eyes of Hashem, their approach. And then Job talks to God himself. He says, what's the problem? God says, I don't have to answer it, or better yet, you know, it's beyond your hasaga, something like that. So he didn't give him a nice, neat answer. But the book reflects the fact that there is one God, and there's in charge of everything. So if you want to know who decided that this lady should have trouble with her children, there is an address. If you want to know who decided this person should be rich and that person should be poor and this one healthy and that one not, there is an address, right? So if there's an address, then it's okay to have a complaint department, okay? I, and what's worse in the Jewish religion is to say there's nobody in charge. There is nobody to talk to. You understand? That's where that's why the Rebbe said was 100% right. That's the essence of davening. It's not... You praise Hashem. Now, that's a very firm way of doing it. Of course, when we organize the public worship, so we use shares with Tishbachos. And that's simply because there is a lot of hot tub out there, even with Saras. I mean, I don't want to get and, and, and get uh, super silly. So, you know, this lady, for example, has a lot of Saras in her life. She also has a lot of good things in her life. You see? Uh, you know, that is true. But, on the other hand, if a person doesn't feel 
this. You can't simply reprove them and say, Oh, how come you're not Nochemish Gamzu? Why don't you say Gamzu Latoa? It don't feel like Gamzu Latoa to her. It felt like Gamzu Latoa to Nochemish Gamzu. That was him. He was a saint. I'm not a saint. I'm not a saint. Does Hashem want that a person should say something you don't believe? Meaning that they don't physically, intuitively feel? Apparently not. How do I know that? First of all, half of what you find in the Torah, I'm talking about the Nevi'im, consists of that kind of stuff. You find many of the Nevi'im are complaining, why are you acting bad, Hashem? It just comes to mind, uh, I don't know why, It's a famous passage in Chavakuk. Don't ask me why I remember that. I just do Right? But there are many people like it. Why do you stand there and see all this kind of junk going on? You see? Why don't you, why don't you uh, uh, intervene? Basically, why is there bad in the world? You know? Why is there bad in the world? And when a person himself is suffering, it's wrong for somebody else to say, oh, you should be praising and fooling around over here and things like that. And that's why I can't be a theologian and say why good things happened to this lady once she started screaming at Shen. And I don't want to sound like I say, like I'm making, uh, you know, hay from Herzoris, because that's disgusting. But you see that what she did was totally within the Yiddishkeit tradition. And we know there's a famous Gemara where it says the Anshayis and Knesset were called the Anshayis and because they're the ones who restored Hoyel Agodol Agibra Vanura. I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. If you look at the different psukim in the time of uh, Girmiel and whatever, Daniel, Ezra, this one omitted the word Agadol. And the, you know what I mean? Like one of them said, Hokel Gibor he left that Gadol. And someone else said, Hokel he left that Gibor. And someone else left that Nori, you know, that kind of thing. Right? And later on, when they built the second temple and the Anche and Sigdol came along, meaning long after the Holocaust, and looking with a, a sense of a certain perspective, then they said, We can restore these words. Right? And I remember the Gemara says, I'm just doing it by heart. Can a human being, even a prophet, like Daniel or Yermiel, are they allowed to make limitations on descriptions of Hashem? I thought... You're supposed to say shares with dishbuggers all day long. That's what the angels do, right? And the Gemara says, Yodim Hayu Sheelohehem Sony cause of a Machnifin Lo. I just happen to remember that phrase. It's in the it's in the Gemara in one form in uh, Yuma over there. And it's another form I remember in Yushami Chagiga. I just remember that. Yodim Hayu Sheelohehem Sony cause of. Hashem hates it when you just shoot the bull. You say words, even shirts with Ishbachos, and you don't really mean it. Because it's hypocrisy. If I need a person's help, and I don't like the person, but I'm not stupid, so I'll go and flatter them and praise them, this, that, and the other, because it's necessary for me to do that, you know, to get the favor from them. But really, it's, 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 a, it's an insult. Because I'm I'm playing them, I'm uh, manipulating them, I'm pretending that I'm supporting them, 
back then, but really, really, I'm not. And quote unquote, behind their back with my close friend, they say, ha, ha, ha. You know how insulting that is with the brush all? Then you're really treating them like a person, like a gullible human being. It's possible to pull the wool over God's eyes. The definition of God has to be that you can't pull the wool. See, that's the definition of God. It's not the only definition, but one of the definitions of God is Ein Machnifenlo. Ein Machnifenlo. You get this as a big yisod in davening and, and in, in life in general. I always called the Yekish of virtues, you know. We do what a German Jew, at least in the old days, they told you it looks good. You know, do you like this tie? No. Yes. But at least you know where they're standing. Elsewhere, we all, you know, lie all the time in order to, what's the expression? Lubricate the social fa- fabric. You know, you can't go around telling everybody what you really think. So you try to be diplomatic, as we say. Shite. But not with Hashem. No such thing as being diplomatic with Hashem. If you daven, or you talk to God, uh, it's got to be real. Otherwise, a real conversation didn't happen. Like I said before, when I go and deal with some official that I have to deal with, and I'm flattering that person and laying it on thick, I'm not having a conversation with them. I'm actually, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm playing them like a fiddle. I'm uh, you know, manipulating them. There's nothing more theologically insulting than a person thinking they can manipulate Hashem. Because then what you're really saying is, you know, he doesn't see everything. He doesn't know everything. Therefore, I can fool him. When you do like that, the Yetzirah has you in the in the palm of the hand. Uh, anyway, so I think you see the point I'm saying, and I think it's a very remarkable story. I want to re- really thank the Albanians for giving me permission to use this. And I think it's a very important lesson when it goes to the heart of davening because most of us have a day school education, a base Yaakov education, Shiva education, and we're taught to relate to Hashem in a certain way. And there's no question that the way you relate to Hashem reflects a, you know, a, a, a worship, actually, as they call it. But on the other hand, uh, if it gets in the way of having a sincere conversation, because uh, I don't want to tell you I have any kind of chas v'shil, you know, person says, you know, really everything is called but I really have you know, some issue with this and this. And You're not having a, that's not the real davening. You say, that's not the real davening. The davening is you ask for what you need. Uh, now look how interesting the Chazal were, the Anshay Gansagdola, they set up the Shemona in two parts. Part of it is shares of the Dishbacha, so you shouldn't, you know, forget that part. But the other part is just direct asking. Slach lana, refleinu, barikalainu, and so forth. It's very, you know, it's very direct asking. Uh, so you shouldn't be a grubber young, so you have to proceed it with shares uh, with You know, at the gibor, at the kadosh, and so on. But the heart of the Shimon Esrei, let, let me put it this way, and I'll close with this. Now I'm going to lay a nice question out for you, and then I'll let it go. You think about it. And if you discuss it with anybody, that'll be great. Then it means that this talk has had an effect. What is the icker part of the Shimon Esrei? The beginning and the end, or the middle? <laughs> The praising of Hashem or the requests that are in the middle? Which is the main part? By that I mean, which part is Hashem most interested in? I think, you know, which part is, is God interested in, in in your communicating with Him? I think that's a very, very interesting question. And uh, with that, I'll leave you there. Um, as always, I want to thank Mishpacha Stefanski. But this week, uh, we also want to thank Mishpacha Oppenheim for sharing this uh, 
a letter from the front line to the Kirov Wars. Uh, I say again, the front line to the Kirov Wars. Because it's very real. You get it? It's very real. I would like to know, like a Pirche story, what nice things happened to this person as a result of discovering there's somebody, there's a complaint department. Because that's really what she's saying. She's saying they were showered with blessings ever since, since she discovered there is a complaint department. But uh, that's a tremendous yisod. And what's worse is, as I say, to pretend nobody's there or try to play somebody or something like that. Anyway, with that, I wish you all a good week. And um, I hope, as I said before, we'll have an opportunity to do the Parsha and the uh, Haftor. I actually want to also do the Hoffman thing and it's something on Israel, but we'll see how that works out. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com